today's reading and the content of our sermon is going to be all of chapter 7 of Joshua. So we'll be starting in verse 1. The Word of God reads, But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Only about two or three thousand men need go up to Ai. Do not, take, do not make all people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men from the people went up there but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shebarium and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan, only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us, if only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, Rise up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have, they have even taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Rise up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus the, the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, There are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. In the morning, then, you shall come near by your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come near by families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come near man by man. It shall be that the one who has taken the things under the ban shall be burned with fire, and all that he and all that belongs to him, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has committed a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua arose early in the morning and brought Israel near by tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the family of Judah near, and he took the family of the Zerahites, and he brought the family of the Zerahites near man by man, and Zabdi was taken. He brought his household near man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then 
I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. They took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel and poured out them before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They raised over over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Here ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let's pray once again before we look at God's word together. Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, Very humbling. This is a very sobering account. I would ask that you grant me the, the grace to communicate it by the power and authority of your Holy Spirit. Bless your people by way of sanctification. From this text, we ask that you would bring to life those who are yet dead in their sins and transgressions and at enmity with you. They might realize that enmity is removed today through the finished work of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. We're continuing our series on the book of Joshua. Uh, We have just completed chapters 5 and 6, which describe those days immediately following Israel's entrance into the land promised to them. As we said a week or two ago, It was not the land of the Canaanites. The possessor of the land was Yahweh, Almighty God, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and as we say, the hills and the hills upon which they graze. He promised it to them hundreds of years before they enter. They have now crossed the Jordan River into that land during flood season on dry ground. The power of Almighty God has been applied on their behalf in the most dramatic and remarkable ways, witnessing as they have the mighty hand of God upon Jericho, that seemingly impregnable double-walled city. They are now more than conquerors, having entered in. Now, as instructed by the Lord, they they were told to simply march around the city once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day, march around six times in silence, and then on the seventh time, one more circuit, Chapter 6 and verse 15, we read, at the seventh time, 
when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the walls we read fell down flat. They didn't fall in. They didn't fall out. They fell down flat. They had gained what they desperately needed, namely a foothold into the land of Canaan. Um, Israel had taken and torched the city of Jericho as commanded by God. Their first conquest, that is the double-walled city of Jericho. The next location now, moving forward, westward, to the centermost point of the land promised to Israel was this relatively small and insignificant town called Ai, stationed about 12 miles or so away from Jericho. Nothing could stand in the way of this God-ordained, steam-rolling power given to Israel. Or so it seemed. Well, chapters 5 and 6 focused upon Israel's obedience to Yahweh, renewing the covenant with Almighty God. Chapter 7, in verse 1, Opens with the word, but. Look at it. Introduced as we are to a disobedient soldier. There's a fly in the ointment. Unbeknownst to Joshua and Israel. But. The sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel, the whole nation, because of one man. Now, Joshua, of course, had no idea that Achan had done this. All he knew is that Jericho's walls had fallen. Everything in the, in the city, every living thing in the city was put to death as commanded by God. And the remains of the city were set ablaze. That's what he knows. He carried out the commandment of Yahweh. So with Jericho destroyed, Joshua continues his plan, his campaign to take on the rest of Canaan. Next stop. The, the little town of just a large village, really, known as Ai. Verses two, or three, two and three, we see once again, um, Joshua sends spies in to, to patrol the target. They come back, they report, hey, Joshua, no sweat. We only need about 3,000 soldiers for this one. And here, one disobedient soldier is responsible for the defeat of Israel in this small town. Verse 5, the men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate. 
as far as Shabiram and struck them down on the descent. They're running away. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Whose hearts were melting when they were on the other side of the Jordan? Those in the city of Jericho, all of Canaan, their hearts were melted. Now the Israelites' hearts are melted. They're like water. Israel has suffered this defeat by the, the, the hands of an enemy that they should have just plowed over. And yet they, they suffer this humiliating defeat. Joshua, he, he has to be thinking at this point, what, what is going on? The Lord promised me that we would never be defeated, that he would always be with us. Now we have 36 dead Comrades, did, did I not hear him correctly? Yes, God promised them victory. Yes, he promised them the whole land of Canaan, but he also commanded careful obedience to the terms of conflict in Jericho instituting, as he did, the ban of Jericho. Look back at chapter 6 and verse 18. Only keep yourselves. Keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. In other words, no loot, no booty is to be taken by the soldiers, which are the typical spoils of war. And because of one man's sin, God now holds all of Israel accountable. Notice, therefore, therefore the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. So then, God in his judgment and providence causes this defeat. The obedience, the disobedience rather, of one man, one soldier, Achan, which led to the death of 36 other soldiers, and now it produced a very discouraged leader, Joshua. Discouraged leader. Now, Joshua, who still knew nothing of Achan's actions, he, he took the news very badly he, notice, and the elders of Israel in verses 6 through 9 went into a, a state of mourning and they, they tear their clothes, they, they put dirt, dust on their heads, which was an act of deep mourning. This, this attack and this defeat or attack of Ahab was an utter shock to Joshua and the elders of Israel. Consequences were severe because of one man. And he says, why did you allow us to cross the Jordan only to allow the men of Ai to defeat us? Sound familiar? Moses, Israel in the wilderness. One commentator has wisely pointed out the difference between complaining to God versus complaining about God. Amen? 
Verse 8, O Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? To turn one's back from your enemies was a sign of fear and humiliation. Inviting a spear or a sword to your back. So here in defeat, These men knew better. Soldiers are trained to turn and face their enemies and not show fear. It's better to die facing the enemy than to live while exposing your back and running away. A lot of preachers today need to learn that principle. See, if news got out that Israel turned and ran away, they they would probably face heavy resistance along the way from these other villages, towns, and cities. And they would put up a similar fight as, as did Ai when they hear this. Just raise your swords and they'll run. In verse 10 the Lord's discouraged leader, Joshua, is told to get up, says the Lord. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? Now, the Lord's saying rise up conveys irritation. Because Joshua is missing the entire point. As Francis Schaeffer reminds us, God is brusque at times. He is brusque when those who have ample reason to know the answer forget it. End of quote. In other words, what happened was precisely what Yahweh had warned would happen back in chapter 6 and verse 18. If Israel sinned in this way, trouble would come upon the camp and it will be accursed. Achan's name, by the way, means trouble. The troubler of Israel. That's the title of the message. Trouble. The valley of Achor also means trouble. Affliction. The name of the place, we'll see. Verse 26, Achor. Now in verse 12, notice the Lord says, I will not be with you anymore. Verse 12b, I will not be with you anymore. Wait, this is the Lord who promised, I will be with you wherever you go. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now I will be with you no more. Imagine the pressure on this brother, Joshua. Because of one man's disobedience. This would be a a, a hopeless, terrifying consequence were it not for that word, unless. A word that calls attention to the condition that God imposed upon Israel in the first place. Right? That last sentence in verse 12 is, is the pivot of the chapter. We now know why Israel suffered this defeat. 
And we now know what has to be done about it. Otherwise, the worst possible consequence would be realized. The Lord will leave Israel to her own devices. Can you imagine if the Lord just left you to yourself? That's a terrifying thought. As a Christian, it terrifies me to death. It was his presence with Israel that brought them this far across the Jordan. They trampled Jericho. God trampled Jericho. (laughs) They knew this very well. Look, unless, here it is, unless you punish the one who violated the terms of this covenant and remove that person from your midst, unless you purify the house of Israel, I will be with you no more. Verse 13, rise up. Joshua, rise up, notice, and consecrate the people. What does he mean? You go out now and you charge the entire nation to consecrate themselves. That is, that they must now be ceremonially pure in preparation for the next morning because God is going to be in their midst to reveal the culprit. Consecrate yourselves. Then verse 15. It shall be that the one who's taken with the things under the ban shall be burned with fire, He and all that belongs to him because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has committed a disgraceful thing in Israel. Why such a severe punishment? Quite simply, because the sin was so grave and so destructive by one man. I mean, 36 men had already lost their lives. This was a sin against the love of God, This was sin against the grace of God, and this was sin against the gifts of God that he just lavished upon his people. It's a repudiation of Yahweh. Next, the discovered troubler, the rebel within the camp. Verses 16 to 18. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near by the tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the family of Judah near. He took the family of the Zerahites. He brought the family of the Zerahites near man by man, and Zabdi was taken. He brought his household near man by man, and Achan, son of Cam of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, was taken. Notice God's approach is very precise. He singles out the tribe, it's Judah, by way of Lot, whatever they did in God's providence. We see that many times in the Old Testament. They cast lots. So it's the tribe of Judah. Then it's the family of the Zerahites. It's the household, down to the household now, Zabdi. And finally the culprit, the spotlight shines on Achan. And Achan admits, 
Notice, I saw, I coveted, and I took. Gravity storm, right there. Who's that remind you of? Eve in the garden. I saw, I desired, and I took that which was, what? Forbidden. Depravity of man now on display. Verse 21, um, 200 shekels of silver, that's about seven pounds. A bar of, of gold weighing 50 shekels, that's about 20 ounces. So the temptation was considerable for the guy. But it was against such temptations that Moses warned about before they ever entered the land. Look at it, Deuteronomy 7, verse 25. Do not covet the silver or the gold that is on them and take it for yourself because you could be ensnared by it. For it is abhorrent to the Lord. Do not bring an abhorrent thing into your house or you will be set apart for destruction like it. Do you get that? Set apart for what? Destruction. Now, taking the gold and silver, it's, it's easy to understand, you know, the monetary value. But notice also he admitted to taking the, this cloak, this robe, which was from Shinar. And being from Shinar in Babylon, it would have been chic. Why'd you steal the purse? Because it's Prada. Because it's Prada and it makes me look cool. <laughs> Notice, the beautiful mantle from Shinar, which means it was an ornate robe, well-decorated children, ornate, well-decorated, finely designed, hand-stitched, colorful, and probably would have had um, in its trimmings of the sleeves in the end of the gown or robe um, jewels attached to it, making it somewhat of a, a status symbol. Like Joseph's coat of many colors. Joseph's coat has long, had long sleeves. His brothers wore short sleeves. Short sleeves meant you're a servant. Long sleeves meant you're the master. So here's this decorated robe that caught his attention, um, wanting to impress others, wearing it around, rather than obeying Yahweh's command. That's called being a poser, young people. Poser. The world's, world's filled with posers. Social media is filled with posers. You, you can present yourself as anything or anybody. Don't be a poser. Witness from the congregation this morning. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> So uh, Achan, he's hidden his sin for a time. The, the Lord now brings it out into the open. 
His actions have brought down the covenant curses of Yahweh that we were reminded of this morning in Sunday school, study of Amos, and the curses fall upon the entire nation, not just one man. The punishment will be swift but severe. Verses 22 to 25. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. They took them from inside the tent, brought them to Joshua, to all the sons of Israel. They poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan and the son of Zerah, Uh, The silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones. Notice, stoned them with stones. They raised over him a great heap of stones. They burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Now remember, in verses 13 through 15, okay, now don't miss this. Joshua said to all of Israel, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow it will be revealed who the man is. You know what that tells us? He had all night to fess up. Achan had all night to repent, to confess. The question is, could Achan have found mercy had he confessed before morning? Don't know, but I tend to believe so. The sober reality about this passage, beloved, is not that Achan had time to repent the evening before. The sobering reality is, it's it's not that he had time to repent and wouldn't. The reality is more likely he couldn't. Couldn't. He couldn't repent because Sin within had so hardened his heart. It's like the Pharisees in John chapter 12. Though he, Christ, had done so many signs before them, and they would not, they would not believe. Therefore, we go on to read in chapter 12 of John, therefore, the words of the prophet Isaiah are fulfilled, therefore, they could not believe. Would not, would not, could not. You know, some people think that you can just repent just like that. You can just go through life and believe on Christ just like that. Question is, then why don't they? Because they can't. It's not possible. In and of yourself, apart from the mercy and grace of God in Christ, you cannot. Young people, let me say this to you. Perhaps you will be tempted sitting here as you do under expository preaching week after week, month after month, year after year, perhaps you'll be tempted in your mind to think, you know what? I'm going to play along. I'm going to do the church thing with mom and dad and please them. 
And then when I'm 18, I'm going to go out and sow my wild oats. And later on, I'll believe. Later on, I'll repent. Beware. I say this in love. Beware. And listen to Scripture. They would not, they would not, and there came a time they could not. Amen, young people. Beware of that temptation. Temptation's not sin. Temptation's not sin. Rebellion is sin. Unbelief is sin. Now, notice, remember, remember who was saved within the destruction of Jericho. Rahab and her family who were Amorites, Canaanites. Here, who's put to death? Achan and his family, Israelites, destroyed together with him. Notice, the Lord commanded not only the destruction of Achan, but the destruction of his name. His lineage is now wiped out. So the, the violence previously described against Jericho was now directed against an Israelite. No one gets in by way of lineage. No one gets to heaven because mommy and daddy are Christian and I grew up in a Christian house. You must repent and believe, each and every one of us, and entrust ourselves to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, Achan probably hid the plunder in their family tent, and the family was fully aware of it, most likely. Nevertheless, who's going who's to question God's judgment? Anybody in here? Let me pause for a moment and say, uh, many contemporary readers, many Christian believers in our day chafe at this account. It rubs them raw. They'll say, Achan was wrong, yes, but he admits it. Yeah, once he's confronted, he owns up to his sin. Isn't it now God's obligation to let this go? And we read, now go and kill him? Friends, Joshua did not have a choice. Notice, unless you kill him, I will be with you no more. Any questions? Let it never be. God is holy. And let God be true and every man a liar. Lesson. Never underestimate the damage that one person can do to the entire body of believers who rebels outside the will of God. Amen? Because of Achan's disobedience, Israel was defeated at Ai. The church today must be diligent, according to Hebrews 12 and verse 15, listen to this, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it, many become what? Defiled. Sometimes a person in the church will be disappointed with another believer, perhaps disappointed because of the pastor, an elder, 
a deacon. And that disappointment turns to resentment. And they begin to nurse grudges. That's dangerous. A bitter and resentful person within the body of Christ is a contagious poison that spreads throughout the body of Christ. Dangerous. Now, if a person is guilty of gross and heinous sin within the body of Christ and remains unrepentant, and again, remains unrepentant, it is the command of the New Covenant, the New Testament, the command of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, Matthew 18, that that person be removed from the fellowship of the church. Amen? That's how this applies today. We don't stone people anymore. I wish we did stone false prophets. (laughs) TBN wouldn't exist. Most of it, anyhow. This is why Paul admonished the church in Corinth, right? It wasn't long ago we were there, to discipline and remove that incestuous man from their midst in 1 Corinthians 5. Because his sin was what? Defiling the whole body, corrupting the whole church. Now, that action, excommunication, okay, is reserved only for heinous sins, by which the whole community is corrupted and there is no repentance. You just don't go chucking people out of the church, right? Or wouldn't, The pulpit would be empty, as well as the pews, amen? Look at, look at 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, context that incestuous man within the church, and Paul was rebuking the church for not disciplining the man? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Then he goes on to say, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Friends, we live in a time in which church discipline has almost been completely abandoned by churches today. You know we practice it. No pastor wants to name someone from the pulpit. I've said this before. In 15 years, we've named five people from the pulpit who remained in unrepentant, heinous, gross sin, and we restored three of the five. And that's the goal, restoration. Amen? Now, we don't have to stone people anymore, but this should serve as a reminder just how seriously God takes the purity of his church. Because Christ is our Passover lamb. Because we are unleavened, positionally. Now, that same principle of divine judgment and excommunication um, are shown to us in Acts 5, from which I read earlier. Ananias and Sapphira, they were struck down dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Right there in church. Can you imagine that? Someone comes up and they put on a big show and, and God knocks them over dead right there in the front row. That's why this one's always empty. (laughs) He is funny. (laughs) Or at least he thinks so. (laughs) A reminder that God's judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Old, Old covenant, new covenant. 
right there. So now the, the, the general drift of this chapter is clear. See, the question that it, that, that it raises here, it addresses the matter of whether when Israel entered Canaan, would Canaan enter them? Father, I've asked you, don't take them out of the world, right? Keep them from it. Keep it from entering them. That's why your politics, you better make sure your politics align with this. You better make sure the sound bites you're quoting align with this. I could go on about that. Would Canaan enter them? Has secular humanism entered the hearts of God's people in the New Covenant Church today who claim Christ is Lord and King, Sovereign Savior? Examine yourself, each and every one of us, when you watch the news and you say, here, here, Make sure what you say here, here to aligns with this. Amen? Amen. Step down off that soapbox. <laughs> See, this is the fear that Moses expressed before they entered in. And we know he never entered in. And because of Achan's sin, 36 other families in Israel were mourning the loss of loved ones. Fathers, sons, brothers, cousins, and so on. Because of Achan. Verse 26. They raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day, and the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. And again, the term Achor simply means a valley of trouble, and no doubt it was. Now, the naming of the place, beloved, was to sink the lesson into Israel's corporate consciousness, to sink in. Remember the heap of stones at Gilgal? After they crossed the Jordan, it was God's order to make a memorial here in Gilgal, reminding Israel that God keeps his word. Reminding Israel that God leads his people to the place of deliverance and blessing. The stones erected at Gilgal. Here, this heap of stones in the valley of Achor was a reminder that God expects his people to obey. Amen? And both memorials are needed in the walk of faith. And as one writer puts it so graciously, when you surrender to the Lord, quoting, no defeat is permanent and no mistake is beyond remedy, Christian. Oh, I'm beyond the forgiveness of God. Are you in Christ? Then no, you're not. Repent of it. It's covered by the blood. And even the valley of trouble can become a door of hope. Where does the where does that commentator get that from? Book of Hosea. So who said that? 
The book of Hosea. Look at it. Hosea 2, verse 15. Then I will give her her vineyards from there in the valley of Achor is a door of what? Hope. Hope. The place where Achan was cursed will become a place of hope. The curse of God that came down on Calvary's cross becomes the doorway of hope for all who believe on the Son. Amen? All right, there's the account. Uh, what then can we say by way of application? Last time we observed the march around and destruction of the city of Jericho, which made Israel more than conquerors. This morning, the first battle at Ai ends in defeat. Next time, the second battle of Ai ends in victory because the unless was carried out. So there's, there's a distinction, okay? So stay with me. There's a distinction between what occurs in, in the first two places that Israel encounters in Canaan. It's a distinction between Jericho and, and Ai and what strategies there are to be for those two places. For us, it's the difference between justification and sanctification. Justification, sanctification. Jericho was a gift freely given to Israel. God says, I give it to you. God fought the battle. God did the work. God conquers and gives Jericho to his people. It's a gift freely given. That's our justification. To be declared free from all blame. To be declared as a forgiven people through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the giving of his righteousness to us. He reckons you as what? As right with God. As righteous before God. That's justification. What do you have to do with justification? Nothing. Nothing. It's a gift freely given for you. You don't have to fight for your justification. Jesus did. The commander of the Lord's army, he fought for it and he conquered. He provides. Jericho was given to them. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's conquered and he gives us justification. A declaration that you're free from all blame. Never to be judged for one sin. Justification. Ai, in contrast to Jericho, must be fought for by the Israelite warriors. They must go in and they must fight. That's our sanctification. Our sanctification in Christ, that is our pursuit of holiness, requires engagement in battle. Yes, you're positionally sanctified. Once and for all, you're justified. You're set apart positionally. But the process of sanctification as we wander through this life, as we, as we pilgrimage our way through, is a process in which we must be engaged. 
It doesn't allow for any passivity on our part. We have to fight for it individually, and we must fight for it corporately. As the people of God, in other words, we are to take up the weapons of our warfare and fight for these things, or you will be defeated. Just like Israel was at Ai. You know, there's a danger sometimes, I think, in our emphasis upon justification by faith only. We are justified by faith alone. Amen? But we can't focus only on that because we will fall into the error of, of forgetting this further um, differentiation. Um, and that is our, the basis of our faithfulness to fight the Christian faith, to fight as Christians in this world. Because these things don't happen naturally. Growing in holiness doesn't happen naturally. Just let go and let God. Don't be a fool, right? You hear that? Let go and let God. No, you engage because you've been justified. Jericho's been taken. God conquered Jericho. God conquered sin and death in your place, providing you righteous, a righteous standing before God. Now we march. Friends, you know that holy must be, holiness must be fought for, amen? If you want to pray and pray fervently, you have to fight for that. Anybody? You have to fight just against distractions. You have to fight to think about virtue, let alone fight to put on virtue. You must fight for contentment as a Christian. We have to fight for contentment, especially living as Christians in America. We're surrounded by affluence. So you're always looking over the fence, right? Fight for contentment. We have to fight for the spread of the gospel. We, we have to fight for discipleship, to make disciples and to be discipled, right? In our day, there's the temptation, I'll just sit home and watch Netflix instead of engaging in discipleship because it's easier. There's no resistance. You have to fight for AI. Remember, what Israel went through was written for our instruction. Look at it, 1 Corinthians 10. They happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. Verse 11, these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our what? Our instruction. Uh, we don't study the Old Testament. Or study the Old Testament. They were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now, beloved, because we're part of something much bigger than us, much more significant than us, be it individually or corporately, yet at the same time, each one of us is significant to the whole as a body part 
of the whole under the head who is Christ Jesus, the head of his body. So we're, we're called to do our part in this as part of the fighting force. That's the call. That's the application to be engaged in battle of sanctification. The victory has been won. You are justified. We cannot battle sin in our lives, right? We, we cannot battle for holiness, whether it's personal or, or corporate. You, you can't battle for unity of the body. You can't battle for love of the body without diligence and discipline, right? It's impossible. The enemy's too strong and will not relent. The world, the flesh, and the devil, they won't relent. You have to stand firm and take up the whole armor of God so that we might be able to stand against what? The schemes of the devil. Tricks. Schemes. And let me say this to those of you who are sitting at home and you're watching church on TV. You haven't been here for months. Some of you haven't been here for over a year. And those of you, and I say this in love, those of you who are able to be here and you're not here and you become lethargic, you need to repent. You need to be here with God's people and engage. Can't battle against this casually, occasionally, or flippantly. Because as I said, the enemies, enemies we face, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they're too strong. They will not yield. They were defeated at AI. <laughs> so there must be an aim to win. There must be the intent to win. Tom Brady, if you're a football fan, every time he puts on his uniform, his intent is to win. His aim, victory. Christian, we must, because we're victorious in Christ, we must aim for victory. Amen? And you can't do it alone. You need the whole army. That's why I say to those of you at home, you need to get back in here. So again, we're called to battle in Christ, promise victory in the victory of Christ. That's the difference between Jericho and Ai. That's the difference between justification and sanctification. Amen? All right, now, to close. Joshua chapter 6 and 7 and 8 are violent chapters. Yes, the enemies of God were destroyed. Jericho, and that's a foreshadowing of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the commander of the Lord's army. Just read Revelation 19. Looks very similar. But today, here, we see 36 Israelites killed Achan and his family stoned and burned. It's ugly, it's brutal, it's violent. There's a stench of death all around us this morning. Yet, as a matter of divine justice, there is not a one of us in this room who deserves anything less than Achan received. Amen. I deserve what Achan received that day, and more so, but God, but God in his grace. 
Achan's rebellion and punishment reminds believers that we've all transgressed God's covenant. We've all transgressed his law. We cannot possibly save ourselves. We're all lawbreakers, covenant breakers, and it will take the death and perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. That's what this points forward to. What did Jesus say to the scribes and Pharisees? You seek the scriptures, you think in them that you have eternal life. They are they which speak of me. This speaks of Christ, the one who delivers. In other words, we need the Son of God to be the great covenant keeper. Look at verse 11. Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant. God sends his Son to uphold the covenant, he fulfills the covenant. We need the Son of God to bear the curse of a broken covenant. Verse 12, look at it. For they have become accursed. Jesus came, upheld the law, and then bore the curse upon the cross in our place. We need the Son of God to bear the fires of judgment. Verse 25, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Jesus bore the fire of God's wrath on Calvary's cross in our place. The Son of God. We need the Son of God to bear a grave of stone for us. Verse 26, they raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. Jesus Literally, you know, we do the Apostles' Creed and he descended into Hades. You know what that means? It doesn't mean he descended to hell to, to bear the punishment of hell. No, he took the punishment of hell on the cross. And in, in the early centuries of the church, there was a false teaching that Jesus didn't truly die. So the Apostles' Creed corrects that and says that he descended into Hades. In other words, he truly, really, truly died. He, he entered into the realm of death and was buried in a rich man's tomb. We need the Son of God to bear a grave of stone for us, and he did, but he wasn't there long. (laughs) He wasn't there long. We need the Son of God to bear the acor of man, that is the trouble of man, and he has for all he came to die for to this very day. The question is, are you one of his elect? Are you one of his? Verse 26, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Trouble. Achan received what he deserved. Jesus Christ took what we deserve. That's what sin costs. Pay for it yourself or entrust yourself to Christ who took it for you. Which do you want? If you're in Christ, rejoice. If you're not, if you're playing around, you need to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ while you have a chance. Tomorrow's promise to no man. And what you will not do today, perhaps tomorrow, it'll be you cannot do. Repent and believe. Today's the day of salvation. You shall be saved. So we must all be confronted with this. It's brutal, it's violent, it's ugly, yet it is a righteous reality because what comes out of this is the mercy of God in Christ, the Son of God, 
the only way to be right with God. So then, brothers and sisters in Christ who are justified, let's proceed in our sanctification by putting on the full armor of God. And may we all fight the good fight. Amen? And we have to do it together as members of the Lord's army. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We do praise you for the gift of eternal life. We thank you again as we're seeing um, sober account after sober account of your justice. But yet we know, we know that we see mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace in Christ who came to bear the curse of all curses, to be condemned in our place, to declare us as right and righteous in your sight. So help us, Lord, to persevere, to take up the sword of the Spirit, to stand, taking up the whole armor of God for your glory together. We ask these things as your mercies are new every morning. For those discouraged, encourage them. Bless them today, we pray.